uh, my feeling about the books is uh, the core story. I've said this before. The core story is great. I love the story. I hate the writing. The writing is atrocious. Except it, Breaking Dawn got a lot better. Breaking Dawn is my favorite book by far. And I feel like the first three books could be condensed into one book and could still contain all the core story. And we could just take out how, how often uh, Bella talks, swoons over his liquid golden eyes or whatever. <laughs> This is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. Hey, TJ, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you, Joseph? Mm, great to be back. Um... Yeah, well, we're, we're actually going to be releasing this. Actually, we haven't discussed when we're going to release it. We're recording it a day early because of Thanksgiving, and I assume we'll be oh, releasing right. it a day early. So you yeah. should be hearing the sound of this uh, podcast on Wednesday if you listen on the day it comes out. And uh, actually, I was just, uh, I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I was just thinking we need to have a schedule on the site so people know when to expect it. And I'm going to be creating that soon on uh, moviebyte.com. It'll probably be slash calendar or slash schedule or something like that. I haven't figured it out yet. Hmm. But we'll. I'm going to put that up there. And I was also, Joseph, playing with a little bit, just, we ha- we're not ready to go with it yet, but just playing with some live broadcasting and figuring out what our options are there. So that, that should be fun. Maybe if, if there's, and all two of our listeners are interested in that. <laughs> yes, I know that me and my wife will be using that. Yes. All right. Well, why don't we dive in? Uh, Corey Poff wrote the Amazing Spider-Man review for us uh, because it came out on home video. And uh, though we don't need to have a reason to write a review, usually it is related to a release on DVD uh, or a release in the theater. And so Corey wrote that for us because you, Joseph, you wouldn't let me write it. <laughs> well, it was uh, given the option between you, a the Amazing Spider-Man hater, or Corey Poff. I'd take him any day. Okay, because you, like you like the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Not as much as Corey, but um, I liked it a lot more than you do. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a one-star film, and eh, maybe one and a half in my, in my view. Now, I uh, shamefully, to my shame, I have not had a chance to, to read this yet. I've been so busy with uh, everything, uh, and it's barely all I can do to find time right now to post uh, some stuff myself on the site. Uh, so why don't you give us just a quick, how, sure. what, did, what did Corey think? Well, Corey, you know, he uh, was a big fan of the older Sam Raimi films back in the day, but as time went on, they kind of wore out on him. So mm-hmm. he, he was really excited to see the reboot because he thought that in you know from his outside comic books point of view that the story was more faithful to the overarching mythos of Spider-Man. And that's the point of view that a lot of the audience has taken that aren't too familiar with the comic books, that something about, I don't know, the archetype story that is Peter Parker, Sp- Spider-Man, was more faithfully adapted into screen in this film. It's not necessarily true, but it is the point of view of the audience, and that means that the audience is going away um, pleasantly surprised by this film, and I think Corey especially. Um, a number of us that were disappointed with Spider-Man 3 were just so pleased that this film at least ways attempts to live up to the better films of Sam Raimi's trilogy. And Corey's point of view is that this film did, does a better job with a better performance by Andrew Garfield for Peter Parker. 
And ultimately, that is just uh, the cornerstone for making a better Spider-Man film. Hmm. So, uh, with that in mind, and some of the other character nuances, uh, he was all in all sold on the performances of the villain and Gwen Stacy's performance by uh, Emma Stone. And so, you know what? He gave it four and a half stars, which is, that's high up there. That's in the nosebleed section of star ratings. And yes. uh, I wouldn't give it that high. I'd give it a four out of five, but that's because I believe that with an extra good measure that Mark Webb, the director, did his best to learn from the pitfalls of the Sam Raimi films in a, in a way that Sam Raimi couldn't possibly have done because he was breaking ground with each of those movies he had the upward challenge of depicting a superhero and his story, a story that had no other film like it. So it was a real challenge for Raimi. And I believe that Mark Webb, though, he just paid a lot of homage to Raimi's work, and he did his best to to improve upon but not replace the Raimi mythos. So I, I think that I, I personally think it earns a little bit of stark power just for that reason. But um, all in all, if I had no point of reference and I were just, you know, looking at this as the only Spider-Man film, I would still be very happy with it. I'm surprised that you dislike it as much as you do, because what you're saying is that for you, TJ, you'd rather have no Spider-Man movie than just this one. Wait, no, what? I mean, I mean, you're giving it less than two and a half stars, which means you're not fond of it. And by giving it one and a half, you're really just saying this this movie doesn't even cut the mustard. This is such a poor grade that it's unpassable. Agreed. I, I, I would not. I would wish I could go back in time. If I had a time machine, I would go back and make sure this movie didn't get made. This is this is such a poor film, in my opinion, that it doesn't it didn't deserve to get made. That, uh, you know, that's my opinion, and, you know, you're welcome to your uh, opinion, flawed though it may be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, um, one of our commenters uh, on this uh, review used the word pretentious, and I, I kind of agree with that. But see, that's the thing. Uh, I kind of interpreted the other films to be pretentious. I don't know. Maybe they were all pretentious but we just reacted to them in different ways based on um how old we were when we saw those original films you know if we saw them when we were younger maybe they just influenced us in a different way i guess here here's i think what part of my problem is this film wanted to be an origin story a we've already seen an origin story for spider-man i know it wasn't the same origin story i know it was based on a different mythos of spider-man but it wanted to be an origin story and b it wanted to, and, and I so disagree with Corey. I was just skimming a little bit of his article, and he said uh, it's a better origin story or whatever. I it, and and that it flushed things out better. And and I thought no, it didn't. It didn't. I thought it was actually far worse. It it wanted to move along past that and gloss that over because we've already seen a different origin story. I felt like it was rushed and um, senseless. Very good point. Actually, I want to add to that. I would have to agree with you. The origin story of the original Spider-Man was a better origin story, but I don't think it treated the characters as well. I believe that The Amazing Spider-Man does a better job with characters and a poorer job with origins. Hmm. We shall but agree it's, to it's not very Well, it's not very often we have the opportunity to compare two films that were made so close in time to each other that tell essentially the same story, right? It's actually a, quite, of a, quite of a novelty. That uh, well, you know, I, I you know exactly what happened, right? Is uh, Disney acquired uh, 
the um, the rights to Marvel or Disney acquired Marvel, but the the films, the, the original Spider-Man films, had they had a different deal with a different studio, and it's it's skipping my mind which studio that is. Perhaps you remember. Uh, I want to say it's Paramount. It might be. I think it is Paramount. Sony. It's it, well, Sony had it at one time. Maybe they had the originals with Sam Raimi. Yeah, and uh, you know, it just uh, this is this is Disney's attempt, I think, to to get it under their roof. Perhaps I'm wrong. Uh, I'm looking. No, no, at no. The... This wasn't a Disney film. Oh, okay. This was yeah. The... Columbia Pictures. Well, it's Marvel though, and Marvel is a, a Disney property. Uh, no, it wasn't a Marvel movie either. It says Marvel Enterprises, a Marvel Enterprises production on what? on IMDb. Yes. Oh, okay. Because I I'd heard that it belonged to Paramount or something. Maybe well, that's interesting. Because in now that I'm looking and, and here I am, I'm spouting my mouth off about something I don't. <laughs> good at. It is a Sony Pictures Entertainment, as were I believe. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the first Spider Man. All right, all <laughs> right. Here we go. So uh, that was that was the first Spider Man. I may I may drop a marker and cut this out. <laughs> Yeah, let's go ahead and straighten this out here. Since we have a yes, second. company credits, Columbia Pictures, Marvel Enterprises. This is the Amazing Spider-Man. So it's the same. It is Marvel. Marvel Studios, which is a Disney property. So I was told, though, that there is a reason why Spider-Man didn't appear in the Avengers and he's not docketed for the next Avengers. And that was that he, this Spider-Man belonged to a different studio. Right, the original Sp- Tobey Maguire Spider-Man did. My understanding, and again, this is all hearsay and conjecture, my understanding was that the reason they wanted to reboot Spider-Man was possibly to re- reintegrate him into the rest of the Marvel Universe with a- Andrew Garfield. Oh, okay. No, oh, okay, I, well, that, that makes a bit more sense. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is a Marvel Studios production. And it, interestingly, the uh, original Spider-Man trilogy only has Marvel Enterprises slated, but not, not Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios belongs to... Um, Disney. Small technicality there that makes a world of difference. Millions of dollars of difference. So anyway, that's the Amazing Spider-Man. We've gone on way too long about this. Did we? I uh, okay. probably. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So let's move on and uh, talk about the Now You See Me trailer. Now this is a pleasant surprise because this brings back Mark Ruffalo in a so it's a it's another nice appearance for Mark Ruffalo and Jesse Eisenberg, who I've missed in large part since the Social Network. He did a great job, and I don't know, maybe he did that other movie where he w- had a bomb strapped to him and had to go into a public school, and a lot of the audience just thought it was tasteless, and I didn't bother to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, I just think he's an actor that hasn't been put to good use. So I, here's hoping because um, the movie's coming out in June of 2013. And it appears to be that the, this magic show um, performed by uh, four or five magicians involves some I- illegal activities. And so a FBI investigation goes underway and they are, for whatever reason, it turns into a chase movie. And um, Yeah, and that- I'm, I'm unsure yet whether they're glorifying the villainy or whether... You know, because they seem to be main characters, and are you? The question I have is: Are you going to be rooting for them? You know, or who who are you rooting for? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? And I'm a little unclear. Uh, it's kind of like my uh, my issue with um, a really great movie in some ways. Uh, gone. Well, I think that these are magicians that are simply trying to. Uh protect their secrets they're trying to guard their secrets so whether they did something illegal or not 
I think that they're trying to maintain the illusion that what they do is magic. And whether they decide to reveal what that is in the movie or not, it could be the pitfall or it could be that really brilliant twist in the movie that makes this one a very compelling original feature. Because I don't think I've heard of a story quite like this one based on just viewing the trailer alone. It's like Ocean's Eleven meets um, The Prestige or something. You know that right. You got these uh, clever magicians in, a, in the modern world, though, and uh, Morgan Freeman's a part of it. Um, it just uh, Michael Caine in it too. Wow, look at that. The, the movie, the name of the movie I was trying to think of a moment ago was The Italian Job, and it, it's kind of like I liked the movie, and I knew that I shouldn't have because it was it basically the good guys were the bad guys. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, Donald Sutherland, uh, Seth Green. Um, and so, in some ways, I really enjoyed the movie. Did you ever see that movie, Italian jo- uh, The Italian Job? I think I have, but I usually forget criminal movies. I mean, the right, criminal it, genre. Right. It was a movie that the, the good up. guys were the criminals. And I just, that, I have a little problem with that, personally. I don't think that that's the, the right angle to take. Uh, and so, I, I, I kind of wonder, is this where we're going with Now You See Me? Now, I, one thing that I really loved about this is it, it's not, as far as I could tell, it's not a reboot or a prequel or a sequel. And we have so much of that now. But it may be inspired by true events or a book. Who knows? Uh, a book. I, I read, somebody said that it was inspired by a book. I did a whole bunch of Googling and could not find that connection. So I did not include that in my link, in my article, um, and where I well, posted it would be the refreshing if it wasn't. But even if it was based on a book, that's, I mean, everything, that's still better than a prequel or a sequel or a reboot, you know, of, of something. I, I don't mind a movie based on a book. It's just that I'm tired of rebooting stuff and seeing sequels and prequels uh, of everything. So, I, I'm, I'm least happy. Ways, but, you know, I don't know about you, but just leastways, based on looking at the trailer, it does look like they're sinking a lot of money into this feature. So, it looks like they're just trying to create a new franchise. Um I mean, it, it seems like a given. It's coming out in June. It's a big budget. It has an all-star cast, and the trailer is impressive. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that it turns out to be a, a decent film all the way around. Yeah, and I'll put the uh, put the trailer in the show notes. Uh, you can find the show notes at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 19. So, that's in the show notes. All right, so we've got two movies to review this episode, and they don't have much in common besides the uh, Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter movie that this has <laughs> nothing to do with, which right. came out earlier this year. Um, so this is Twilight's uh, ending, Breaking Dawn Part 2 review uh, coming up next, and then after that we're going to cover Lincoln by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and the only reason that we are is because these two films came out at the same weekend. So, yep. there you so go. I would be... not have put these together myself <laughs> if I could have avoided it. We're definitely going to be getting to opposite ends of the spectrum. And to discuss Twilight with us, uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, her name is Lindsay. She's uh, an editor extraordinaire. I understand that uh, you've worked with her as an editor, Joseph, uh, at American Vision, and so uh, we're going to get her take and perspective on the Twilight uh, films. So we'll get her on the line here. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Happy to have you on board. It's been uh, what now uh, going on two years since we've been discussing movies at large. And uh, I think the first movies that you and I ever discussed were vampire movies, and we got to talking about Twilight back before we created the other movie um, show, web web video show we did a year ago, Movieology. 
And um, but anyway, our discussions kept um, growing and uh, developing as more movies came out. And <laughs> I just didn't think it was appropriate to talk about Twilight without bringing you into the fold because you've been working behind the scenes on a lot of the productions that I've been connected to, and it was just high time that we got you in front of the mic. So, and I do love to talk about Twilight. <laughs> so you, really you're, you're one of the people that helps helps Twilight out at the box office. Definitely. <laughs> okay. I've seen. I went to the midnight release of the first two, and all the others I've seen on opening weekend, except for one, I think. Well, let me just uh, read a little something that I posted earlier on Movie Byte because I think it's relevant. Um, I posted a link to Entertainment Weekly. I'll put this in the show notes as well. Um, and uh, the 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 link on Entertainment Weekly, they said. Uh, that uh, it had the biggest, the eighth biggest opening weekend of all time with 141.3 million debut. If uh, Summit Entertainment's uh, estimates hold up, that's just a touch ahead of Breaking Dawn Part 1, which started with 138.1 million last year, and just a touch behind New Moon, which opened at 142.8 million. And uh, so I wrote, This is why Twilight films keep getting made. And I run into more people who say they hate it than not, but something is inconsistent here. Somebody is somebody is going to see these movies because they're bringing in the cash. <laughs> yes. Well, I think a lot of people, um, the way things go now is something's cool, and then it's not cool because everybody likes it. And so a lot of people, I think, still like it, but they're, they don't admit that they like it. That's it's right. their I, I, dirty little secret. I think that's absolutely right. And I, I said in my article this morning, at least I'm consistent and admit that I go to the uh, Twilight films and enjoy them for what they are, rather than telling everybody I hate them and then going to see them secretly. Um, or saying, I just like to watch them to laugh at them. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> I, think yeah. that's, I think that's the position my brother-in-law takes, is that he well, watches them to laugh at them. And the other thing you got to consider is that Twilight, as vampire genre lore, it's not much different from a lot of the television shows pertaining to vampires. I mean, just be honest. But which came first? Ultimately, I think that Twilight kind of preceded all of the other vampire hype the, the last several years. All the recent stuff, definitely. It kind of inspired it, and, and I've, I can't say that I've watched anything vampire-related on TV other than Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I loved. Uh, I do but, too, but completely different lore and idea behind vampires. Completely, uh, very, very, uh, almost like opposite. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Twilight takes the genre of vampires and explains the lore of things like the reason you don't see vampires in the sun. Well, it's because they 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 appear strangely, they sparkle, and you know, whereas in most most traditions say that vampires will burn up if they're in the sun. So. You know, it, it, I find it interesting, regardless of whatever else you can say about the series, that, that Stephanie Meyer has taken the lore of vampires and put a different twist on it. Like, the, the reasons that certain things are lore are there, but not for the reasons you think they're there. And I, I kind of enjoy that. I so. do, too. And I like, I think she took something that has always been interpreted as vampires were damned or soulless and she brought another aspect to that area of it like what if that's not necessarily the case what if vampires could be good or bad and that was what made it so interesting as well to me sure and certainly you know edward uh often talks about how he doesn't have a soul and he didn't want that fate for bella but you never get the impression as the reader that that he doesn't have a soul <laughs> correct and yeah. carlisle believes that they do have souls right and that's why he fights so hard for his family right 
Now, uh, uh, Joseph, so you told me the other night, uh, I believe after we recorded episode 18 of the Movie Bite podcast, that Lindsay mm-hmm. kind of inspired you, and I think you alluded to this a moment ago, Lindsay kind of interested you or, or, or made you think about going to see the Twilight series, and that's kind of how you started on that. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, well, at the very beginning, another family member of my my family <laughs> uh they, they introduced me to the books and i was kind of stunned i was like why why do you care about that why do you care about that book <laughs> I, I didn't know anything else about the stories except that they were um being hyped and then i got to talking about them with Lindsay, and she she had read the books so she was familiar with them and then i was like oh okay well it sounds more interesting than just is another superficial teenage heartthrob you know novel series and so I picked it up and I read all the books. I really enjoyed the books. I liked enjoy uh, discussing them with Lindsay. And then we got my wife hooked on them and she thoroughly enjoyed them. And she finished reading the books before I could. She's a speed reader, speed <laughs> demon. And so she got through them and I understand you read them too. I have. Um, actually, I listened to them on tape because, especially at the time, I my travel schedule is a lot different now. Now that I'm freelance and don't have a regular nine to five job, but oh, at the time I was traveling, you know, forty five minutes to work every day and back. And so uh, I listened to them on uh, audiobook, and uh, that was a great way to listen to them. And the audiobook production is pretty good. The readers that they got, or the reader that they had, is pretty good. And so I enjoyed that. Um, I, I my feeling about the books personally, uh, and we'll get to the movie in a minute. But you know they are based on these books. Uh, my feeling about the books is uh, the core story. I've said this before. The core story is great. I love the story. I hate the writing. The writing is atrocious. Except it, Breaking Dawn got a lot better. Breaking Dawn is my favorite book by far, and I feel like the first three books could be condensed into one book. And could still contain all the core story, and we could just take out how how often uh, Bella talks swoons over his liquid golden eyes or whatever. <laughs> now, <laughs> Lindsay, maybe- I'd love to hear your opinion on what you just said. <laughs> um, I I too am a speed reader. Um, I didn't get into the books until everyone was everyone else in the world was waiting for Breaking Dawn to come out the book and so i read one two and three and then i reread them again because breaking dawn wasn't out yet (laughs) um but i read them very very quickly and i don't retain as much i am and i also have to say i'm not someone that typically reads or watches romantic stories unless there's something interesting in there to make me stay like i love the princess bride which is a romance but it has all this adventure and stuff (laughs) as well um, but I was not, I don't, I don't think it, those parts affected me as much as it did some of my guy friends who read the book. They were more like, oh my gosh, is she ever going to shut up? That was my sentiment. Yes. Yeah. And uh, pretty much all the guys I know who read the books felt that way. Um, I don't think any of the girls did. So that maybe that's a guy girl difference <laughs> i think so although my wife feels mostly the same way i do and she got me into the books she's like you know i really think you would enjoy them understand you have to look past this and and you know we you know we like to read these types of books and then talk about them like uh our, these are probably this is probably our third or fourth favorite series our favorite series being harry potter that we like mm. to that we like mutually and discuss together so um yeah, yeah. so we've enjoyed it certainly on that level and um she actually feels mostly the same way I do, and I don't know if that's just a difference with her personality or or whatever. Because I think I think you're right. Most I think it for the most well, part to, it is a guy girl distinction. But uh, it, well, yeah, you're right. It, on the most part, it is. But it it's also true. I I actually 
I found the romance a bit, you know, egregious as far as how it was told, how it was written, but right. I didn't actually find it all that obnoxious in reading the books. Um, I am something of an incurable romantic. That is just my personality. I, I love romance. I don't read lo- romance novels or anything like that, and I don't pursue chick flicks, but I, I like a good romance. Okay? Well, we, we were questioning so, your man card there, Joseph, so it's good to know that you fine. don't. So, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I'm secure in my masculinity, but and even so, I, I just I enjoy good romance. So, um, but for me, I don't think that Twilight is compelling as far as the romance is concerned. So much as all the other, like I think Lindsay alluded to, interesting parts of the story. Exactly. That, that just keep you interested in the whole of it. Exactly. I, I I completely agree with with what you said and with what Lindsay said that that I would not I mean if it were just the romance of the the series I I would not have finished the first book but there there, there was obviously a lot more there to it and and that's what made it interesting for me. I would like to say too from my standpoint I think the books are a heck of a lot better than the movies. The movies are great to have because as a fan I'm kind of mm. like, "Hey, you know what? This is this is fun. Let's just watch this movie for the f- sake of the fun of it all." But I don't actually regard them all that highly. I, I think the books are by far better. I agree with you on Breaking Dawn Part 2. Well, I think I agree with you. Uh, I think the Breaking Dawn is slightly better because I really like the book, and Breaking Dawn is slightly better than the movies of Breaking Dawn. And certainly, the first film in this series was horrendous. Um, I, I, you know, we we can get into this uh, in a minute, but uh, that that's kind of how I feel. That that there's there's aspects of the movies I enjoy a lot better uh, than the books, and that they have to cut some of that you know garbage out in in the atrocious writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. Without the movies, we wouldn't have had the soundtracks, and the soundtracks are amazing. So um, that's a big argument for the movies in my book. A- after the first movie, I would agree with you. You didn't like the soundtrack of the first movie. I hated the soundtrack of the first movie. It was oh, terrible. I loved I think the, it. I think the one that disappoints me the most is Breaking Dawn Part Two. Uh, it's okay. I'm, I'm not saying it, it is a disappointment, but I liked the first one a lot too. Remind me who did oh. the score for Breaking Dawn Part Two. Oh, the names are forgettable. Carter Burwell. Okay, yeah, I don't don't know who that is. Do we know? Yeah. Is it the same person who did the first part one? I, when I'm saying soundtrack, I'm talking about the not the score, but the soundtrack. Um, and the, the they're score all like is the collection of the themes you actually hear in, in the in the right. movie. Is that right? And then the soundtrack is the collection of the pop music, right? Right, and and the music is in the film too. It's just not in it prominently usually. But like so, the soundtrack for the first movie it had it was the song um, "Supermassive Black Hole" that played when they were playing the Vampire base- Baseball. Um, two songs by Paramore, a Lincoln Park song, and some other people. I can yeah. And, and as far names. as score of a film goes, and, and I find it hard to separate in my mind the score from the soundtrack and all that. To me, it's all one whole. And if I like the film, I'll probably like the soundtrack when it comes out on iTunes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't like. A lot of the elements of the first film, I felt that they really messed it up. I didn't like uh, the music at all, and so I guess I've never even considered going to iTunes and purchasing the soundtrack. That um, is so sad. Yeah, I love I, all I, of the music. I loved the music for New Moon, and that was—I'm uh, sorry—that that was that was Alexander Alexander Desplat. Yes, and he—I yeah. like his music. I like his scoring. So I was predisposed to like. And Howard Shore did the third one, and I wasn't as keen on that, even though he did Lord of the Rings. I understand. <laughs> um, he, I just, I felt like he kind of missed it. 
Well, I don't blame you. I think that he just kind of ripped himself off. It sounded at times like music pertaining to the crazy, scary vampires were straight up clips of themes that were orcs. used for the orcs. <laughs> exactly. That yeah. was my was my wife my wife's complaint as well as well as mine. So anyway, no, I I think that his score is okay if you didn't already have that point of reference of Lord of the Rings in mind. But it and, and but because it also doesn't really connect itself to the previous two films, it seems like. It's uh, an island unto itself in the musical score. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned and Alexander Desplat used the Bella's Lullaby that Carter Bur- Burwell wrote. He used that yes. and turned it into the love theme that resonated throughout the whole series. Yes, um, yes. And that I love that theme, and I love that that it's throughout the whole series. And they used it a lot in this last movie, which tied the whole thing together for me. Yeah. Mm. Now, uh, you mentioned Paramore, and I like Paramore uh, standalone. I like their music. I, I just don't feel like it generally makes for good soundtrack and film score. Uh, I'm, I'm very much a uh, traditionalist when it comes to film music, and I don't think you should be using pop music for the most part. There are occasions when it's okay, especially if you're doing something that's very pop culture related, uh, but I think for the most part your film should be scored with orchestral music. Mm. So that, that's, that, that may be why I hate it so much. It could be, because I think on all the rest of the movies, they did not, any time that any of the songs that are on the soundtrack were played, it was like something that was playing on the radio in the car while they were talking, or in the background at a party. I think the first movie is the only time that they prominently put those songs right, over exactly. what was going it, on. It was, it, was the, it was the score and not incidental music. Um, right. and, and, and if you look at, uh, this is a sidetrack, I know, but it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. If you look at the um, films from the 80s that tended to be scored with pop music and synthesizers and things, they just don't hold up. And even films from the 90s that, that did it, although they started moving back toward orchestral scoring, because they, they were, I think they were starting to realize that this <laughs> the whole <laughs> pop music thing wasn't working out well. And, and now, you know, you, you watch a, a film from the 80s that had that horrible synthesizer and, and fake drums and the, the, just the whole, uh, that whole 80s sound, and they just don't work well today. And those that were orchestrally scored from the 80s hold up much better. Mm. So... That's I think I've formed my opinion around that perhaps. So I think we've it kind of encapsulated our viewpoint on the whole of the Twilight Saga. So Have we? I'd like to dive into the Breaking Dawn part 2. Okay, we should do that. Lindsay, so, what did what you we- think of this film? Um, I loved it. Um, my one thing that I did not that my one disappointment was I had really hoped that there would be a song by Muse on the soundtrack because <laughs> Technically, they've had a song in every movie then. They didn't have one in Breaking Dawn Part 1, but I thought, you know, Breaking Dawn, it's all one thing. So that was a disappointment. <laughs> now, um, I have to tell you, at, at, certain, at a certain point, I nearly stood up and walked out. And I'll bet you know what that point is. Yes. Having been well, completely... Well, at that point, me and my friend were both about to probably on the verge of having strokes we were (laughs) crying profusely and i was literally thinking we had planned to spend the day together and i was literally thinking my day is ruined i should just go home when this movie's over because and when you say the world is terrible when you say crying you're talking about tears of rage right how how horrible Um, the filmmakers were well, no, it was tears of sadness at that point. I hadn't gotten to the rage. I was just like, 
what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Liz, yeah, Liz was watching it with me, and she grabbed my arm and started shaking it and squeezing it harder and harder to see what it <laughs> Yeah, I was we like, were, oh no, this is not going to be a good night. <laughs> yeah, well, we I, I had thought they went completely off the rails. And, yes. and, and what, what did it for me, what helped me along is the PR machine. They, they did a fantastic job with the PR machine. And you even had some, some of the cast members saying, yeah, there's going to be a surprise. For those of you who are familiar with the book, it doesn't quite go the way the book does. So you've got that in the back of your head. And then all of a sudden, um, okay, spoiler alert for all our listeners. Here we go. I'm about to spoil it. Then you've got Aro holding Carlisle's head, and his body is burning, and you're going, what? And then everything just degenerates from there, and you're wondering, Stephanie Meyer allowed this? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I was sitting there just trying to figure out how it could be fake. I was like, how are they tricking us? I don't understand how this is beneficial to anybody. (laughs) Well, I kind of had reconciled my my mind with the fact, okay, Carlisle's dead. (sighs) <sighs> okay, we can move on. We can live with that. And we, I kind of thought, well, they feel like they have to have this epic battle scene in this film. You know, it's a little different from the book, and they kind of have to entertain the audience. So, okay. But then, you know, Jasper gets his head cut off, and you're like, um, okay, they haven't burned his body yet. Uh, and so I'm trying to justify all these things in my mind. And then, then characters start really dying, and you're like, what is this? <laughs> and yes. it turns out, it, I, I actually, because I at one point, I both my, my wife and I looked at each other like, this is horrible. And and, <laughs> and then and then you know all of a sudden the camera zooms out from the hand of Aro and Alice after this is all over and I looked at my wife and said, "Oh, that was good." <laughs> yeah, I've told people that haven't seen it yet. I'm like, don't tell, don't let anybody tell you anything. Just go see it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I mean, the emotional roller coaster of that was, and you get that satisfaction of seeing certain people that you hate get uh-huh. killed. Yes, and it's like, man, they gave you all this horrible and wonderful stuff, and then took it away. But then you're kind of okay with that because it stays true to the book. <laughs> it mostly stays true to the book. They shifted the point of focus from Bella's shielding ability, which is what kind of really made Ara really start reconsidering and thinking maybe we won't come out on top. Uh, to they shifted that focus to Alice and her vision, and that's what made Aro realize. And I, I still like the book a little bit better, but I understand why they did it for the film. Yeah. On that note, I think that um, Stephanie, when she wrote the novel, she was trying to tell it from Bella's point of view, and Bella oh, could not appreciate. She wasn't just trying to. <laughs> well, well, yeah, right. But she was being not, not only was she trying, but I mean, like she was genuinely being faithful to those things that would be on Bella's mind at that moment. Sure. So when you see this in the movie, you're not really able to get into Bella's psyche and you're aware that Alice is communicating mentally with Aro and, you know, Aro is getting this idea of the visions Alice has produced. For whatever reason, the moment that Carlisle died, I didn't believe it. I thought, okay, it's 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 there's a 50 50 chance that they're actually deviating from the book and what is the likelihood that they're doing that if stephanie co-produced and co-wrote the screenplay for this movie mm, it's low okay so this is probably all like something up in aro's head and then as i started seeing more people die and by the time that jasper died i was like yeah this isn't real this isn't real this is mm. not happening but what really impressed me was that they carried out this battle as long as they did in the movie that 
it went on for so long, I began to have my doubts late into the scene. I started to wonder, okay, well, maybe they are doing this. This is kind of weird. They're, they're just still going with it. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> I was in torture the whole time. Yeah. Now, they actually, and I, I can't I can't quote the line exactly, but one of my favorite lines from the book was not in the movie. I was a little disappointed. It was uh, right when Edward and Bella uh, think that everything's going to come collapsing down around their ears, and all of a sudden Edward realizes what Bella has done with the fake IDs, and uh, he says to Jacob something like, uh, you know, he calls him his brother and his son. Oh. Yeah, and that was my fa- one of my favorite lines from the book, because at that point... All relationships are mended, and, uh, you know, and it, this wasn't in the movie, and I was a little disappointed about that. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I but, can see you know, that being disappointing. Well, on the whole, though, um, you know, I, I just wanted to make a note here. Uh, we kind of really didn't talk about any of the box office opening weekend stuff. I kinda, oh, we I guess we, I, I guess we kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, you recorded this information on Movie Byte site when it first was announced, but I still think it is interesting that um, opening weekend it got an $88 million in the box office. Um, worldwide, it has grossed $340 million, and the budget is hovering at an estimated $131,500,000. So they are really raking in the dough with this movie. Yeah, and, this and, is- and actually, uh, you said $81 million. My stats on Box Office Mojo say that the opening weekend was $141 million. Well, I think that that's what they've got total up to now. But that uh, no, 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 no. That's what it says for opening weekend. Really? Okay. Well, whatever the case might be, it's just a unique difference in their return on their investment making this movie compared to so many other movies that we have looked into on the Movie Byte podcast. We're see- we're used to seeing a much smaller margin of profitability here, and uh, but this movie in its it's doing really well. It's really it it's kind of so shockingly well stupidly well that it's hard to believe that seeing as how twilight is um a completed series with this movie that the 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 producers or that stephanie meyer will not can you know reconsider the possibility of furthering the story one way or the other there's already been rumblings and rumors about uh more twilight whether in movie form or in book form or in both there's there's definitely i i I will no, go not, on. I'm I will not go trying out to encourage it. No, but I'm. I will go out on a limb and say, given the success, there's no way they're not going to make more. There's just you. You don't turn. You know, you've got a tree Either. that's producing money, and all you got to do is pour a little water on the on the roots, and it's going to keep. Uh, I don't know if my analogy is working there, but I'm just saying <laughs> it. It. Uh, there's no way they're not going to milk that cow. There's there's a better analogy. I mean, the the, the cow has milk, and they're going to get it. <laughs> so. I don't know. The actors can't keep doing it forever because they're going to look too old. Yeah, unless perhaps. they're really vampires. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awfully convenient. And if they knew that in advance, then the casting call was yeah, no, no, no that's that's no fair. Now, what puts actors at a real disadvantage? That would explain why their acting is so poor at times. Now, one thing that I was interested to see, and I, I'm still not sure because I have the background of the books. I I, I just wonder. What reg- you know, audiences or viewers who haven't seen the books, how they feel about Jacob imprinting on Renesmee, this this baby, and and I, they they kind of mitigated it a little with the uh, in Breaking Dawn Part One at the end when Jacob imprints on Renesmee, 
they kind of zoom into the future and we see Renesmee as a 20-something girl. Mm-hmm. But you, you still, now in this movie, you have to deal with the fact that she's this little girl that Jacob has imprinted on. And, and I kind of understand what's going on, and you do, and Joseph does, because we've read the books. And it doesn't seem incestuous to us. But, but you can see, I'm sorry, not incest. Uh, that'd be, that's the wrong Pedo- word. Pedophilia. I, yes, pedophilia. That's what I'm thinking of. I don't know why I said incest. But th- along those lines, that's why. Anyway. Yeah. So, so the, that's the, one of those bad things. Yes. <laughs> I just wonder how, how uh, that affects a normal viewer and whether there's any revulsion <laughs> to that aspect or not. Well, I know several people who have read the books and have a hard time accepting that. So I'm sure that people who haven't read the books are probably like, what? <laughs> well, on that I note, I think that. that if you have a problem with that, then you've also got to have a problem with Edward being 108 years old when he falls in love with Bella. So, but at least Bella's like you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. <laughs> I I don't see how that's much better. <laughs> but I suppose she's, she's of marriageable age. <laughs> personally, I I'm I guess I'm just taking all things saying all things considered, I don't see how they're all that much different. Granting that it's not like Jacob is trying to you know do have inappropriate relations of any kind with a toddler or a growing girl. He's just a very right. protective guy, and he's uh, he's watching over her uh, like a father figure and a brother figure, and like a a man pursuing her heart all at the same time. No, um, I, I agree. I, I uh, the way it's told and the way it's presented, I I don't it doesn't bother me, but I know a lot. It does some people. Yeah, and I think I mean if you're going to put conventions of the regular world on this fantasy world, then yes, it's all weird. <laughs> <laughs> but you have, so you have there to you remember, go. this is a fantasy world. This isn't our world. So it's different. Like, it's not like our world. It's a different world. Well, Absolutely. Lindsay, what kind of a rating would you give this film? We, we, we use it movie by the five-star scale. So out of five stars, this is kind of how the scale works for me anyway. You know, a three-and-a-half, or three-star, three-and-a-half-star rating is kind of, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll probably see it again. It wasn't anything spectacular. You know, then you've got the bridge to four to four-and-a-half going, yeah, pretty good film. And, of course, five is uh, best film in the whole wide world ever, uh, which is what I rated The Matrix, by the way, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, see, I tend to be... Like, there's two parts of me. One part of me wants to put everything in the middle, and the other part wants to put everything either five or one or zero. <laughs> I completely um, understand. So I have this inner battle, but I guess I would say four stars. Okay. It was, re- in my opinion, um, I disagree with you. I think that the first Twilight movie was, the first Twilight movie was was my favorite this may now be my favorite, or they may be tied. The middle ones are all kind of, hmm, not as much. Okay. Um, but so, yeah, four stars. Okay, and you, you are welcome to your opinion. <laughs> Why, thank you. Uh, okay, Joseph? <laughs> well, my opinion is slightly influenced by uh, having to step out of the movie a couple of times for personal family reasons and getting popcorn and drinks. Oh, no. So I actually missed moments like Jacob's uh, discussion with Bella about his imprinting with Renesmee. Oh, that was really good. (laughs) Yeah, so that really frustrated my perspective on the film. I think that I am being a little uh, unjust to give it a 
a solid star rating at this time, but I'm thinking that if I get it, give it another viewing once maybe it comes out on home entertainment, that I'm thinking that I would still give it three out of five stars. But if I saw it without interruptions, I may go for three and a half. Okay, I'm I'm going for the three and a half star rating. Uh, Joseph, uh, in in light of what Lindsay said about the previous films, how do you feel? How do the the other films rank? Well, I like them all for different reasons, and for other various reasons, I still think that the books are far superior. Of but course. I would say this one. Uh, hmm. See, the very first Twilight film to me broke a lot of ground and they did a lot with very little and they weren't too sure about what they were doing and i think that they still did a great job Uh, they made me interested in the prospect of future sequels whereas the future sequels didn't make me so much interested in seeing more twilight films so i kind of think that all in all the twilight the first one was my favorite and breaking down part two was my second favorite because on the whole, I think that Breaking Dawn Part 2 lent like something Lindsay told me. She actually thinks that it served the characters fairly well, um, d- did them justice. In many cases, when the other films didn't quite quite catch the essence of their char- characters. Um, but I felt like that the first Twilight film did a better job of that, too. So I say Twilight would be my favorite and Breaking Dawn Part 2 second favorite. Yeah, I, I would have to say on that note, I'm, I'm giving the film Breaking Dawn Part 2 three and a half stars. Um, I, I think the first film was the worst of the series, and New Moon is probably my favorite. Uh, and Breaking Dawn Part 1 is probably my second favorite. Oh, weird, because New Moon and Breaking Dawn Part 1 are like my least favorites. Hmm. So we must have opposite tastes. Exactly. In some it must, area. It must be. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's kind of how I feel about him. I felt like New Moon redeemed a lot of the problems that Twilight had, in my opinion. So uh, it went with a, in a much more, I, I guess you could say, a much more uh, traditional direction with the directing and with the music and with uh, with um, uh, film. What you're really saying, what you're really saying, is that you're Team Jacob, right? No, not necessarily. <laughs> I. Uh, no, I'm not necessarily saying that. I I I, I will say. Um, I found in the book and in the movies, I found my, probably the most incredibly frustrating part of, of either of those is when uh, Bella comes home. Uh, well, Bella had punched Jacob in the in the in Broker's hand, and uh, Charlie uh, is 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 laughing and cutting it up with Jacob about this. And I'm sitting here going, if any man had tried to kiss my daughter without her or my permission, and uh, I. I'd probably be in jail. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just found that incredibly frustrating. I don't remember why I was bringing that up. Uh, I had a reason but for it. <laughs> quickly, speaking of Charlie, he was one of my favorite characters throughout the movies. I thought Billy Burke did an excellent job as Charlie, and he was humorous without being like lame or goofy. I loved him. Yeah, and, and in the book, he's, he's described as very awkward and didn't know what to do with himself, and Billy Burke pulled that off really well, and especially now, I'd never seen Billy Burke in anything else, but especially now seeing him in the tv show revolution playing a completely different character you realize just how good of an actor billy burke is yes i loved him yeah he did great yeah he was my favorite of all the uh character adaptations for the films yes definitely he did great and and and, you know frankly i think bella uh i think uh, kristen stewart gets a bad rap i think she does really well as bella personally oh i think she was perfect in fact she is my i think is the best adaptation and her dad is next 
Yeah. Um, Although because, I, I also like the casting for Rosalie and Alice and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, my biggest, Taylor Lautner's acting left a lot to be desired a lot of the time. And Edward, I mean, uh, Robert Pattinson played Edward completely wrong. On I that note, that. Lindsay, have you seen any of the um, online video interviews with Robert Pattinson discussing his character or the Twilight series? No. Because I, 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 I typically don't go looking for video interviews with Twilight cast, uh, but someone here at the office today knew that I was working on this review, and they approached me and said, hey, you've got to check out this video. And so I was like, okay. Reluctantly, I turned it on. It was on YouTube, and it was a collection of video interviews with Pattinson from the, cor- the course of all these movies being produced, and various people interviewing him and asking him a series of questions pertaining to his character, what he thought of the rest of the cast, what he thought about the overarching story, particular plot points, and at every turn... Pattinson himself was one way or the other dissing the entire everything. He 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 just didn't sound convinced by the movie, its story, the characters. He didn't like you know he didn't like it. It was weird. I wondered if it was all a joke. But these were recorded at different times and places with different people, and in every case, he was just making snarky comments about everything. So I don't know. I I wonder if that comes through in his performance because he even said. The way that I'm supposed to tell this character, he is supposed to be, and then he described essentially his own performance of Edward. And I was like, really? You thought that that's what Edward should have been? Yeah, that's not what Edward should have been. Who told you that? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that frustrated me that even and that was Pattinson one of the believed things, that that's what his character was supposed to be. That's one of the things that made this most recent movie better is because I felt like Edward acted like Edward should be acting. Instead of in the other movies, he was so dark and broody. He acted. He reminded me of Angel from Buffy, and I don't like <laughs> Angel either. It's just like, oh my gosh, I just want to punch you. Stop being so sad and mopey. I love Angel from Buffy, but uh, oh, or and, and from this TV show Angel, but you know, that's just me. Now, um, one more thing. I know we've been talking a lot about this, and we probably have like two listeners left. But uh, <laughs> uh, one more thing. Uh, Lindsay, you weren't one of these people that sent uh, people like Nikki Reed hate mail about her character's iciness toward Bella, were you? No. No, she was that way in the book. <laughs> I'm referring to an article I, I linked to on Movie Line. Um, after spending four years of... Uh, after spending four years in five movies playing Bella Swan's vampire sister-in-law, Rosalie Hale, in the Twilight series, Nikki Reed understandably has bittersweet perspective on the billion-dollar franchise coming to a close in this week's Breaking Dawn Part 2. On the one hand, she won't miss the hate mail from fans who have taken her character's on-screen iciness to Kristen Stewart's heroine to heart for four, for four films. Oh, wow. I, and I just, that was all, I quoted that much because I'm like, uh, all right, wait a minute, hold on. There are actually people stupid enough to think that Nikki Reed has a problem with uh, Kristen Stewart's character, Bella Swan. I mean, this is crazy, crazy. And send her hate mail. And I oh, think, yeah. Oh, uh, it's just stupid. Um, anyway, so you're it not one of, you're not one of those people, right? <laughs> no. Okay. I don't write hate mail. I um I only write love mail. Okay. Very good. <laughs> Just had to check on that. Uh, and it, it, it's something I posted the other day, so it was relevant. So, cool. well, did you have anything else you wanted to say about uh, Breaking Dawn Part Two, Lindsay? That I think I've said it all. Go see all it. All right. All right. Good. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We oh, appreciate thank you for having, having me. You. So. 
yeah All we'll right. have you back more and more i think i think that uh Lindsay is sort of like one of our secret weapons because she is uh far deeper into the fantasy movies than i am <laughs> so that she what? she can do them more justice oh really i mean I you're di- you just are i mean I, I i enjoy a fantasy occasionally but i'm not i'm not as extensively a, a fantasy genre fan as much as you are i think you can um do them better justice because you're familiar with more of the conventions and the unconventions and everything that makes them special i just don't like reality i guess <laughs> <laughs> well i'm kind of and with I you Lindsay. You. I, I like fantasy very much oh i do too and science fiction all right. Well, thank you, Lindsay. We'll uh, we'll look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you. All right, TJ. So next up, and I guess uh, finally, after a long last, you know, dude, I've been looking forward to this review for Lincoln since the first trailer was released, I guess, back in the springtime around Lincoln's, uh, uh, the annual anniversary of Lincoln's demise. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I've around been, the time that the first trailer came out. <laughs> I, I've been trying to figure out uh, how to talk about this film, Joseph, because I have, uh, you and I probably both have a different perspective than most people, than a lot of people. And, and I don't, I want to say this up front. Uh, I want to say two things up front. I don't want to uh, offend anyone. And I want to allow for other viewpoints on this because when you come when it comes to history, who knows everything that exactly happened and what happened and how it happened and who was right and especially in the case of the the war between the states, who was right and who was wrong and what should have been done differently and who should have done this and you can argue that I, I have an opinion on all this and it's going to be probably different from most of our listeners' opinions. But uh, I, I just I, I don't know how else to frame this discussion. I, I don't want to drive anybody away over my opinion or over your opinion about Lincoln. No, I, I, but I think we might as well go ahead and just say it. Um, I live in the South, and I grew up, um, you know, uh, understanding my family heritage. Um, the Darnells were big into knowing their own family tree history. And uh, going back, the Darnell family held from northern Georgia during the time of the war between the states. And the Darnell family uh, sided with the North, joined the Yankees, and they fought in the Union Army. And then some of them got involved in the political scene. A uh, few of my Darnell kin, direct uh, ancestors, they were very influential in politics. Um, and so they went down to the Georgia State Capitol and tried to talk the state of Georgia out of the war. And apparently, Georgia uh, flip-flopped like two or three times politically during the war. And it was one of the reasons why Georgia was un- was difficult to deal with during the war. And um, But my family played a part of that. And so as a young man, I just thought, oh, well, my Darnell family tree can't be all that wrong. And I read various books, watched documentaries, visited the Lincoln Memorial. It just seemed like Lincoln was an awesome guy. But then the older I got, I uh, was introduced to alternative viewpoints. I did more research or read some other historical facts, learned more about the life of Lincoln, things he personally said, those people he counted as friends. And it seemed like the people who wrote the history books were trying to uh, whitewash the story and give it a spin, give it a yarn, where we would ultimately idealize the victors of the war, and that's all that mattered. So much as we that we agree with those that win the war, not necessarily uh, 
you know, account for what truly happened in the course of history. And I kind of prefer to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I admire, or should I say, I respect the office of the president of the United States. Of course. So I would never criticize Lincoln with uh, hate speech or deride his humanity, you know, his, him as a person. But based on the historical records, I find it very difficult to admire the man, given that I think we, are been, we have been given so many falsehoods to glamorize this man in many ways is not consistent with how we've glamorized him in this nation. Yeah, and and <laughs> this is, I think, what scares me, Joseph, is we're going to be talking some politics here. We just have to. Yeah, it's we're, we're being brutal, brutally honest, and Steven Spielberg brought, brings it up, so it's unavoidable. Yeah, and just to give you a background of where I'm coming from, I too, I, I grew up in the North. I, I was, uh, I'm from originally from Peoria, Illinois, and I grew up, so in the land of Lincoln, and I grew up loving Lincoln, great guy, and was taught that, that he was our greatest president because he held the nation together. He held the union together. Uh, you know, you know, from my vantage point now, you know, consequences uh, be darned. He did it anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so I, you and I both, I think, are approaching this with what most people would call a somewhat libertarian perspective. Uh, and uh, perhaps what people would call us Southern sympathizers. Um, I, I approach it from the perspective that neither the South nor the North behaved correctly during the Civil War, but that in large part, this was due to President Lincoln. And again, like you said, respect the office of the president, but I disagree very much with many of the things he did. So, that framing is, is leading us up to this film called Lincoln. Yeah, and I guess uh, what we have to accept is that you know uh, Spielberg has chosen to uh, adopt the popular opinion about Lincoln, and, uh, you know, I can't slight him for that because so many intelligent people have, you know, it's just, it's a very popular viewpoint. A lot of people have read a lot of books that I think are just chop full of the untruth, you know? So, um, you know, I, I can't slight him because this is American culture today. Um, and we, we're just not a part of the, uh, you know, the mainstream culture when it comes to this particular issue. Um, that being said, I don't slight the movie on just its basis for being, um, I think, historically inaccurate. Uh, but at the same time, I always have that itching in the back of my mind, like, you know what? This movie could have been so much more interesting had it been telling uh, history for what it was rather than painting the popular opinion of the man Lincoln. And uh, But but that I think that that's a... a uh, the lost cause. I don't think that that uh, Hollywood is going to deliver a movie Never. like that. <laughs> yeah. For the next many decades. And, um, and you know what? I think that of all the directors present today, I, I have, I cannot think of any other director. I would rather tell the story because I think that Spielberg's uh, director style tell us of storytelling can do it the most justice because he is able to explore um, human relationships and tell a human interest story uh, that is still very compelling and relates to the historical facts and uh, fleshes out some historical characters and make and I guess you could say makes relevant those historical events 
yet again for modern audiences that are so far removed from that that they don't appreciate what happened to our Amer in, in American history of that era. Uh, this this film makes the the whole history accessible once more for I think this generation. Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't completely disagree with that. Uh, I, I I don't ever discourage an interest in history. My my biggest concern, of course, and and, and it's interesting. We'll get into this in the review. Um, it, it wasn't completely like off the rails. I didn't think it was. I was amazed at just how. Uh, things were portrayed sometimes, and then I have to remember. Well, that's because people have a different perspective than me. Uh, but I, I am concerned that there is enough historical revisionism here that, I, that, that just concerns me a little bit. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, and, and again, most people have studied the whitewashed version of this, and and they look at Lincoln as a hero. And I'm I'm I, I'm sorry to be a wet blanket on your uh, parade. Uh, boy, I'm mixing my metaphors today really badly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to rain on your parade, <laughs> um, but I don't think Lincoln was as good as we painted him in this film. Oh and, no! Not and by I, far. I will say, let me preface. The, let, let me back up and preface that, or post preface it. Um, y you know, I have no doubt that Lincoln's uh, Lincoln wanted to free the slaves, and that was what, like he felt like the slaves needed to be freed. I have no doubt of that, and that was that's a good and noble intention. And 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 let me say too, I think slavery was wrong, and and am glad that it is no longer a part of this country. Slavery is wrong under any circumstance and should not be condoned. And I'm not condoning it, and I'm not saying the South was right, but I'm I am saying that the issue of slavery was not the primary reason for the war between the states. <laughs> so here here we are getting completely political. Let's let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the movie. Right. Well, okay, first off, it came out in the United States in theaters November 9th, limited release, and it's getting a wider release on November 16th. So a lot of people haven't even had the opportunity to see this film yet. I'm glad we could get ahead of the curve. Yeah. And um, the budget was $65 million estimated. And um, I think that they every penny was well spent. What did you think? Oh, from a, from a technical standpoint, this movie is very, very, very astoundingly well made. No, yeah. no question. I, I would not have done anything different with the cast. I wouldn't have done anything different with the soundtrack, the, um, the camera, uh, how it tell, tells the story, the cinematography, the locations, brilliant. Just about my only um, quibble with anything pertaining to uh, how the budget was used and how everything was presented on screen was there are a few times where they have outdoor scenes and there's an enormous uh, it seemed to be an, an unusual number of people out in the streets and buggies and carriages and walking around and then uh, it just didn't feel like that was probably consistent with the times what would have really been happening but then again this is washington dc so right, i know there were thought. a great number of people yeah i felt um, like that was fine personally I, I guess perhaps i'm just thinking about other uh historic historical movie reference points like um you know western films where more often than not they're set in essentially the same time period but you see far few fewer people in the streets far fewer uh carriages and horses and yeah, men if, doing business but those are smaller towns right you're not in washington dc right I, I i know it just it was kind of jarring to me because it seemed like there was so much busyness behind the characters performing their scene in the story that it took away from what they were trying to tell with those characters in that scene it just it distracted me with all this background noise 
that's that's my only technical disagreement with the film yeah and i i didn't have that problem with it i i can't think of anything technical that i i found flawed uh and certainly the casting of this film is beyond perfect i mean i daniel day lewis totally convinced me he was lincoln completely and totally convinced me that he was this character we're calling lincoln um and i really enjoyed the banter on the floor of the house with uh, tommy lee jones i mean just spectacular <laughs> well yeah i want to get to their performances a little bit more uh, in depth in a few moments but i'll just go ahead and say yeah, tommy lee jones wow i did not know that he had it in him um i love that actor i i i've liked him in most everything else i've seen but he i think he actually uh, just uh steals the movie from daniel day lewis at times oh totally completely. daniel does a brilliant job of lincoln but uh wow <laughs> tommy lee jones i had didn't know you had it in you uh, just wow uh, when i saw trailers they did not do his character justice i i thought the exact opposite of this thaddeus guy that he was going to play one of the legislators in you know in congress who has several debate scenes in the film I just got the impression from watching the trailers for Lincoln that Tommy Lee Jones was going to stand out like a sore thumb. He would be the one actor who didn't fit the picture, that he didn't fit the time period. And that it couldn't be further from the truth in the movie itself. Um, so anyway, opening weekend here uh, in the United States. I, I don't believe this has been uh, widely released uh, worldwide yet, has it? No. No, I don't believe so. Okay, so opening weekend in the United States, it's made $21 million, and uh, but in total, the box office domestic, it's got $141 million. So it's doing really good. It's made its money back. It's uh, doubled on the investment, and I think it's going to continue to do great through Christmas, and I think it's, it's well-deserved. Um, I'll yeah. be interested to know what the international response is, because I know that they're there are many differing opinions about American history on our own shores, but there are many, many others <laughs> overseas. Right. So, and, and, and are people really interested? I mean, I know I'm for the most and part. That too. Not, yeah. I'm, I'm not interested in other countries, civil wars. So, so will, <laughs> will this film do well overseas? Now, on the other hand, I'm not living in a country uh, that is not America where most other countries pay attention to America for, for whatever reason, uh, whether deserved or not, we are currently kind of in the world spotlight. And so does does that mean that people are more interested than I would be in, say, a civil war in uh, some country in Africa or, or whatever, you know? Uh, and and, and right. I don't want to come off here as uncaring and unfeeling. That's not what I mean. I mean, I, I certainly have sympathy for other countries and especially third world countries. And uh, I, I know of... Uh, folks who adopt orphans from third world countries and i think that's a great work i'm not saying that at all i just realized what i'm saying could be misconstrued so i want to set the record straight <laughs> but i'm just saying in general i don't pay attention to the politics of other countries and i wonder if other countries will pay attention to a political film in nature about our civil war i just don't yeah know. well well then now with a director like steven spielberg and with so many stars in the film i think it'll garner an audience just for those reasons but again because it pertains very closely to american history i i, I guess the only th other thing to do until we get something um uh, some real box office returns would be to compare it to uh, to say the box office uh results of uh the other uh historical film uh, the patriot 
Um, I bet you we could look at that and see how it did internationally, and it would reflect a little bit on what maybe the international scene would do with this film. Yeah, maybe so. Now, I will say, um, as far as the portrayal of historical uh, figures, or, or however you want to put it, I was I was a little surprised, I alluded to this earlier, at what what was in the film because okay because lincoln is hailed as the the man who uh you know freed the slaves and made the culture that we have today possible where uh though we you know we talk about racism and stuff we we don't know none nobody alive today knows what racism is like like we knew like this country knew in the 1860s nobody you know i i get a little bit frustrated when i hear people talking about racism like you you don't know what the word means and neither do i none of us do not when you look at the way it was in the 1860s and and previous and i was a little surprised they they glossed it a little bit but it was there that that lincoln was not a, a supporter of complete and total uh equality only equality in the eyes of the law and and that was one of the big sticking points with thaddeus is that he believed in equality all the way and they they at that was in the film i was surprised at that that they didn't that they didn't completely gloss that and make lincoln seem like a complete and total hero there and that was not lincoln's mm. intent ever was to say that the that that uh you know and and there's certainly i i don't have the quote right in front of me but there's certainly that that somewhat famous lincoln quote where he said that he never believed that that men black men and white men should be on equal footing but only in 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 regards to the law and that he was certainly not saying that that uh black should vote or any such thing mm. Um, well, hey, real quick, I wanted to um, back up a step. You know, I think a lot of people understand this is a movie about Lincoln. It pertains to the war and the issue of slavery. But a great deal of people still don't know what the gist of the story is about. So here's a uh, short storyline a summary introduction. The story is set in 1865 as the war between the states winds inexorably toward a conclusion and U.S. President Abraham Lincoln endeavors to achieve passage of the landmark constitutional amendment, which will forever ban slavery from the United States. However, his task is a race against time, for peace may come at any time, so the war would end, and if it comes to an end before the amendment is passed, the returning southern states to the Union will stop it before it can become law. Lincoln must by almost any means possible, uh, the way he perceives it, obtain enough votes from a, uh, how do you, uh, recalcitrant Congress before peace arrives and it is too late. Yet the president is torn because of the moral ambiguity here, as an early peace would have saved thousands of lives in the war. As the nation confronts its conscience over the freedom of its entire population, Lincoln faces his own crisis of conscience to end slavery or to end the war. And uh, that is what the film unfolds, events pertaining to 1865, January through April. And uh, on another note here, um, I, I don't think that it is... I think the ratings from the audiences and critics are warranted. Um, IMDb's audience is giving it 8.3. Rotten Tomatoes critics are giving it a 91, and their uh, their audience is giving it an 89. And I think that those ratings are warranted for this film. Uh, you have any thoughts there? I, I can see why they're giving it that rating. 
Now, why would you say that? Based on the uh, uh, on the technical performance, uh, you know, quality of the film, or the do you, I mean, performance and the praising of a man they consider to be a great man of history who did a lot of good for this nation. That that right. I can see exactly why it's it's doing that, and and you know, it's it's a well done film in that yeah. regard. So, you want to get a little bit more into the nitty gritty about the film and less about the politics? Uh, okay, why don't you start us well, off? Okay, cool. So here was what I was wondering. Um, the woman playing um, Lincoln's uh, wife. Sally she isn't. Yeah, Sally. She, she's not really that short, is she? You know, I don't know. In the movie, they made it very clear how what a difference in height that uh, Mrs. Lincoln has to Mr. Lincoln. And it, 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 there's many scenes where they're standing side by side or she's talking up to him. Lincoln was six foot four, the same as I am. And, uh, and she is so, five foot three, so she's just an inch shorter than my own wife. Okay, so I, I did. I wondered if there was actually some CG work done there. I guess not. No, she's pretty short. Okay, well that is faithful to the historical um, Mrs. Lincoln, so that's nice. Um, because if that if there was a difference there, I was going to say. I, I I didn't actually see any um, special effects work done to pull it off. I was yeah. going to say, wow, really great camera trickery there. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I can't give him that credit. Um, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing, um, what was his name, Willie? Um, Mrs. Lincoln's oldest son. I don't believe that he is biologically the son of Abe Lincoln. But uh, he did a great job. There was all these um, subplots, these aside characters to add such um so much flavor to this film that it's hard not to like the sub stories um, apart completely apart from the main plot. Uh, I liked what happens to Thaddeus and his character progression. Uh, Leap Pace plays a, a very principled Democrat who um, kind of uses oratory like Patrick Henry and he gets up there and he's trying to make a very staunch um you know, uh, case for why they can't allow for the amendment to be passed because he's opposed to um, the, you know, slaves equality with, uh, you know, with voters and the rest of society. And although you can't agree with his moral values, I thought that the character he portrays was just brilliant, brilliantly performed by Lee, Lee Pace. And I loved it. I just thought that actor, he's something else. Surprisingly, he was also a vampire in Twilight, and he did a brilliant job there, too. Mm. Um, and, you know, something that's um, rather... Uh, difficult i think for filmmakers to tell with a period film is scenes in dark quarters you know this film has a lot of times uh, scenes that are taking place in rooms that wouldn't have had indoor lighting they have all natural lighting right yes and or they have um some kind of candle lighting or la uh, lantern lighting and I felt like consistently across the board, not only were the costumes authentic, the locales authentic, but even the lighting was authentic. And that, that's something very, I, I think, uh, special to this film that you don't often see with historical films. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, I, yeah, I have no complaints there. Um, what did you think of the soundtrack? You know, we, we, we love to talk about John Williams and berate some of his more flamboyant uh, soundtracks. I thought this time around, he was um, very subdued, he kept it subtle, and he had a very simple uh, musical theme. 
uh, to convey the mission that is Lincoln's Definitely. throughout I, the story. I, I, I found it quite refreshing for, for a, uh, a uh, John Williams soundtrack to, to be a little more subdued like that. I, I did find that very, very refreshing. In that regard, it's almost like the music plays the harmony to Daniel Day-Lewis's melody whenever he's telling, you know, uh, you know, acting out a scene and has that's heavy in dialogue. Right, yes. Um, which happened a lot. Um, the way that Lincoln was portrayed, I didn't quite anticipate where he loves to tell stories. He, he, uh, he evades uh, a question or a confrontation by telling all the men in the room a, a story that they could all appreciate that from Lincoln's point of view should answer the questions directed at him. And it, it's to the point of ridiculousness when he, he introduces a little yarn here or there or some factoid. And, and so sometimes the people in the room become uh, quite irate with Lincoln because it's like, oh, there he goes on again. <laughs> I just I thought that was kind of clever because um, it was like a foible of Lincoln. I didn't expect that he was one for telling stories and just wouldn't de- address directly the issues at hand. And I thought that was kind of clever. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. Uh, and, and sometimes, though, he did use it as like a springboard into the answer of his question. Uh, but, but yeah, most often he would use it to kind of avoid the question or answer it in a way that he thought it was answered. So, yeah, it was definitely an interesting thing, and who knows how historically accurate. You know, another thing I appreciate about the ambition of this film is to tell this story at all, because I know that many other filmmakers probably are just not up to the challenge. They don't feel capable of telling this history. Uh, they, they don't feel like it's their place. And they don't feel like they they have enough familiarity with the subject matter. Now, I'm not saying that Spielberg is uh, has served it justice because, like we already described, we have our mixed feelings about the historical nature of this film. But at the same time, I appreciate that someone did take the time to go ahead and tell this story because it is something that is worth sharing with. Uh, others that that need to grow an appreciation for American history in general. Um, I know that at this time, a lot of people have suggested that Lincoln came out at an opportune moment to correlate to this recent election and to um, the political, you know, just uh, the, the political climate of our time. I personally don't think that that was... I don't personally think that that's there. I think that the uh, the uh, the pundits who see this, they're kind of they're pulling it out of a hat. Uh, you know, Spielberg would have made this movie and released this movie at any given time when he was good and ready to release the movie. I don't see a direct corollary to anything to do with um, our current American politics. I see how there's many ways in which this film relates to American culture. And it's uh, it's culturally relevant because we still have issues of racism, um, not like they had then, but it's it's great to return to how what was the first step in resolving racism and uh, worst worse are still issues that were plaguing America at that time. Yeah, it's refreshing to see a moment in history when something ultimately good was accomplished a turning point for american history and its culture um i'm not saying like again i i'm kind of getting tired of giving the disclaimer here but you know i i think with uh with mixed feelings 
I still appreciate what was accomplished by this piece uh, of of time in American history, and so it was. It's just a, it's a it's a story I've wanted to see up on the big screen. So, what would you rate this film? Hmm. I'd say four stars. I'm I'll commit to that. Four okay. stars out of five. I've I've been waffling on my star rating. I had three in the show notes here at first, and then I've got two and a half right now. I I don't know. I've I'm waffling between two and a half and three. I, 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 I would watch it again, but at the same time, because of my concerns and because of my perspective, and again, I fully understand if you enjoyed it, and that's fine. And uh, I, I just, uh, I, there, there were times when I just shook my head, going, I, I just, you know, glorifying Lincoln. I, you know, again, the the South had some issues, the North had some issues, uh, North had bigger issues. <laughs> Yeah, and and yeah. and ultimately, it's you know I don't want to dwell on it too long because it, the war's over, it's done. So anyway, a lot of people have made the good points that a film like this will just further solidify the uh, historical revisionism, and I think that that's probably true. Yep. At the same time, I'm not too concerned about um, I'm not too concerned about intelligent Americans who were willing to uh, with open minds look at the historical account for themselves because all of the evidence is there. They just haven't bothered to look at it for themselves. Just because you were taught something in school doesn't make it true or make it the fullest extent of the truth. So uh, someone who really wants to debate us needs to, you know, observe the evidence for themselves. And again, we're not saying that the South should have won the war. We're not saying that there wasn't blame uh, to be passed to all sides involved. But um, as far as this movie is concerned, trying to separate it like I think I need to in order to appreciate it at all. I need to separate my feelings of this movie from my feelings of America's history and uh, to some to some extent before I give it a rating based on its entertainment value. So from that, that's how I can derive that this film's entertainment value is worth four stars. Yeah, well, I can appreciate that perspective. I, I didn't feel like it was worth four stars. Quality and production-wise, you know, certainly I, I completely appreciate where you're coming from and giving it four stars, but uh, I just don't feel like I can, I can rate it that highly. And uh, again, I'm sorry if I've offended anybody. Uh, I, I've, it was never my intention for this show to be political at all. And with a film like this, it's just hard not to be. And with uh, as passionate as I am about some of these topics, it's hard for me not to, to be political about it. So, Well, all right. Well, I think that's a wrap. I really enjoyed talking about these movies. We're going to have to have Lindsay back. We're just going to have to. Yeah. Um, so maybe they need, we need to encourage another Twilight film be made. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe she likes other films that we can talk about. <laughs> oh, I know. We need we need to get her back for the uh, Oz, the the wonderful, great, and powerful people of Oz movie. Yeah, since you're since I'm probably gonna like it, and you're probably not gonna like it, and it sounds like maybe she'll like it. So, yeah, probably. So maybe we'll get. Her All right. Back. So, w- what do you want to talk about next week? I I say, let's do something a little different. I'm just gonna throw this out here. I haven't already. I have not already shared this idea with you, but you you can turn it down flat if you want to. Um. What I'm thinking is we have another big weekend with several movies we'd like to get to. Um, there is the Hitchcock movie. There's Life of Pi. And there's a couple others that 
I don't think quite will get the attention of these two films. Um, but what if you review Life of Pi and I cover Hitchcock, and then we can share our viewpoints on those films, and you can kind of pick my brain, and I can pick yours on the podcast podcast next week. Sure, I can't guarantee that I'll won't be a wet blanket on Life of Pi because I don't like the looks of it, but you know. Sure. Well, let's do that. <laughs> well, you can pick another film if you want. There was that other one. Uh, yeah. Was it Red Dawn? Yeah, I'd rather do Red Dawn, frankly. Although, hey, well, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting it to be a three and a half star film or so, and you know, an enjoyable action movie. So let's yeah, do well, that instead. Okay. Let's do Red Dawn and Hitchcock. Okay, maybe we'll get to Life of Pi someday, somehow. Yeah. Someone else. And and I could be completely wrong. It might be a good movie. It just doesn't look interesting to me. Okay. Oh, hey, uh, I'm sorry. We need to mention one more thing. Yeah, if you want to uh, get in on the special giveaway that we got going on right now, please do so. It's still standing. Go to moviebyte.com. Click on the golden link bar up at the top, and it will take you to the page where you can follow the steps to sign up for the giveaway of a 47-inch LG 1080p flat-screen HD television. Along with a one-year subscription to Netflix. And that's a pretty big deal. I'm really excited that we have this contest. Um, the TV is right here in my office right now, people, in the box. It's never been opened, and we already got the money for the Netflix subscription. So, I mean, please take advantage of this because, I mean, you could be giving someone a brand new TV and Netflix subscription for Christmas. And we'll be announcing, or announcing the winner of this uh, uh, giveaway at the end of November. So you'll probably have it in time for the Christmas holidays. Yeah, and, and please do also, the, the, the idea here is to make Movie Bike grow. Uh, we love what we're doing. Uh, we've had a lot of success doing it. We've had a lot of fun doing it. We're getting a lot of listeners, but we need for Movie Bike to grow. And so please share this with your friends. Uh, get them to sign up. Get them to sign up for uh, our giveaway, which signs them up also for our awesome newsletter uh, that we share uh, every Tuesday and Friday, usually, if we if we can get it done. Uh, but uh, that, that really helps us out, and... Uh, allows us to continue doing what we do and allows you to keep loving what we're doing. So please share it with your friends. Uh, we would also appreciate if you would rate this podcast in iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. That would be awesome. So head on over there and do that. Look us up in iTunes and give us that rating, and we would appreciate that very much. All right, well, TJ, thanks a bunch. It's a wrap. That's it. That's a wrap. Well, no, actually, the wrap is another show we do. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is It is a wrap for this podcast. We'll talk to you next week, Joseph. Bye-bye. Bye.